Do you love Jesus? Do you love Jesus more than the Chiefs? I thought about putting a, a picture of some of those wild outfits they wear at the Chiefs game, you know, with all that on Facebook this morning and saying, do you love Jesus more than the Chiefs? But I was afraid I'd get in trouble, so I, <laughs> I didn't. I love the Chiefs too, but I love Jesus more. How about you? Amen. Ladies, I thought, I, I have uh, this message and one more message in this non-masculine, non-toxic masculinity series. And then uh, I plan on preaching about the biblical woman. So I, know, I don't know quite as much about that as I do this, but it should be interesting, right? And dangerous. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I thought in these last two messages I have that I would tell you ladies some man secrets. Would you like to hear some man secrets? Some man secrets, some things that are true about men that women generally don't know because women learn about men from other women. They read articles written by women about men, nine things you should know about your man. And the women who are telling women about men don't know anything about men, really. Hello? So I'm going to tell you some stuff about men. I will betray the brotherhood <laughs> a little bit for our benefit. Today I want to talk to you about the incorruptible man, the incorruptible man. And um, what I would call a corrupted man is a man who does not possess God's definition of masculinity. Somehow it has been corrupted. It, is, it has been changed. It's been distorted. And there are some very basic things the Bible constantly warns men about. These things will corrupt you. They will mar masculinity in you. So be careful about these things. But let me start off by telling you something about men. I wish you women act more interested in this. You know, it'd help out. We have what we might call the blessing and the curse of testosterone. Hello? It is a blessing and a curse all at the same time. And ladies, unless you've had an injection of it, you have no idea what we're going through. This is supposed to be a little bit funny, so laugh, okay? You have no idea what it's like to be us. Among other things, this chemical flowing through our bodies tends to make us competitive and assertive. Hello? Some of you are looking at me like you don't know what you're talking about. I know what I'm talking about. It makes us competitive. It makes us assertive. And few things are more masculine than that drive to say, I want to believe I am good at this. I want to believe I am successful at this. I want to believe that I am winning this game I'm playing. It is so inherent in what we are as men. We don't do stuff we don't feel good at. I went golfing twice in my life. 
acts under conviction already, and I just mentioned God. I got blisters on my hands. I used every golf ball I took and borrowed from the guy that was with me, lost them all in the woods and the lake and everywhere. And after the second time, I decided I'm not going to do this again. I'm not having any fun. I'm too bad at this. I'm just bad at it. Now, had I been with Jack, he could have taught me how to be good at it by now, and maybe I would be obsessed with it, but I'm not, you know. And... Ladies, here's one of the secrets I want you to know. We tend to drop out of things we don't feel we're successful at. We tend to back away from them. We have no interest in playing a game we keep losing. Hello? And now I'm going to get serious. I am amazed as I look around and as I've done this series for the past month or so, and it's begun to crystallize in my mind, and you can call me paranoid if you want, but there is a spiritual war targeting the men and what it means to be a man is under spiritual attack, and I am amazed at the number of men who are simply quitting. They just quit. They quit on their wife. They quit on their kids. They quit on their career. And they find all different ways to quit. Some of them just walk away from whatever it is and don't look back and they go, I'm not going to continue doing something I'm terrible at. Did you know that 70 to 80% of all suicides are men. And as we get into our 40s and 50s, the chances that we will commit suicide go up exponentially because when we get in our 40s and 50s, our youthful dreams are past and we realize we're probably not going to make as big a splash as we thought we would. And we feel like We are losing. And it's the ultimate form of quitting. What is a midlife crisis for a man? I'm going to quit everything I've been doing. I'm going to quit this marriage. I'm going to quit everything. And I'm going to go buy a new car and a sports car. And I'm going to try something else. And maybe I'll be good at that. And friends, I'm just going to... Just say this, it's going to be very dangerous. But ladies, you have a pivotal, pivotal role in helping your man not be corrupted. You have a pivotal role in helping your man not be corrupted. The worst thing you can do for a man is get in the habit of criticizing him. And it got so quiet. Because criticism says to the man, you are not winning. You are losing and you are a loser. 
And when he hears that enough, he will start looking for a way to quit. When he decides, I can never win at this. Because if I do ten things right, I get in trouble for the one thing I didn't do right. If I bring in a nice living and take care of you, I get in trouble for not taking out the trash. As if taking out the trash is, are you guys okay? Criticism is kryptonite to a man. But there's a time to criticize your man. You like the way I'm doing that old country, your man. There's a time to criticize your man. But I always say that criticism is like antiques. The more rare it is, the more valuable it is. If you don't do it very often, when you do do it, it's going to land. And it's going to mean something. But if you do it a lot, it won't mean anything. We have this amazing capacity to go someplace else in our brain. (laughs) Hello? You know, we can just leave that conversation, plug in over here somewhere, and we hear it. You sound like the adults in Charlie Brown. We just sort of extract ourselves from it. Ladies and gentlemen, this is one of the great secrets. A guy will never tell you because he'll feel like a sissy if he does. The thing that gives him life are words of encouragement. Words that say, wow, you did a great job. Wow, that was awesome. I'm so glad this. You can see a guy carrying bags of groceries into the house so his wife won't have to. He's loaded down. He's, he's got two in his hands and one on his head. Because the truth is he doesn't want to make another trip. He may even have one on his foot, you know, bouncing it along. And you can say, why are you so lazy? Why don't you take two trips? Or you can say, man, you're strong. And you say, oh, this is nothing. Oh, oh, oh. I could have carried three more bags, you know. It's all in how you choose to approach the guy. And I can tell you, we're just simple-minded enough that if we get some praise, we will do all kinds of stuff. We will attempt all kinds of things, which is not always a good idea. But we, we, we live on that sense of, I am doing this well And we are drawn to that and we specialize in that. One of the things, as I was really examining myself, there's one of the things I find is I I think I am a decent woodworker and I I can build things, furniture and things like that. I think one of the things I enjoy the most about it is building it and then showing it to people. Because people will look at it and go, wow, you built that? You built that? Yeah, I built that and I may do it again next week. There is this sense, I did something I'm good at. When a wife looks at her husband and says, man, I'm blessed to have you. Really? All right. And it elevates his whole energy level to be a great husband. The expectation that you are going to see it and celebrate it says, I'm winning I love doing what I win at, and I'm winning at this thing called being a husband. 
And we remember vividly when those kids speak up and say, Dad, I'm so glad you are my dad. We go, really? Yeah. It's so incredible. Is this making any sense? Again, guys won't admit this generally. But we live off encouragement, affirmation, and praise. We die by criticism, by nagging. We can't handle it. We find a way to quit. Even if we don't literally quit, we quit emotionally. We quit relationally. You know, if he comes bringing you in the ugliest blouse that ever was, wear it with a smile on your face. Hello? (laughs) Or he will never, ever do it again. Maybe he shouldn't. uh, There's your secret for today. Ladies, I'm telling you, some and, and we'll 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 deal with the other side of this thing for sure. But you are going to be critical in creating the man that you want. If you do it God's way, you're going to enforce and empower and build up the man that you want. It's the best thing, ironically, you can do for yourself to speak into him life and biblical truth. When God's plan for a man is corrupted, his fundamental claim to being a winner is lost. And he no longer sees himself as a winner. He's a loser. He's just struggling to get by. He's hoping somehow he can find a way to salvage the situation. And a man who is defeated can be unbearable to be around, FYI. A man who feels like he is failing can be really a problem to be around or to be married to or to have as a dad. He needs to feel that he is accomplishing something and winning at this. So write that secret down, ladies. (laughs) What I'm going to talk to you about today, I've already preached a sermon, haven't I? We 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 got plenty of time. No, we don't. Here, let's go. There's a foundational understanding that makes it possible for us to live an incorruptible life. There's a basic understanding. And if I don't get much more preached today, I need to get this in your mind. Are you ready? It's a foundational understanding. The main points I have for this, the four things that can corrupt a man, you've got to understand this. A religious person seeks to remove temptation a spiritual person seeks to remove weakness a religious person seeks to remove temptation a spiritual person seeks to remove weakness so if i am being religious i say i'm going to build walls around me so no temptation can get in here and uh, they always find a way to get in there We just learn how to hide our sin better. But if I say, I cannot leave this world, I cannot leave the corruption that is in this world, but I can say, God, strengthen me so I am not having to live under the oppression of corruption. Did that make any sense? 
I got to pray, God, I cannot leave this world just yet. Help me be strong enough to be in this world and strong enough not to become defeated by the corruption that is in this world. Like some of you, you've heard me talk about it before, I grew up in a very legalistic church environment. Very legalistic. They taught when I was growing up that women should never wear makeup. Anybody know those churches? They taught that women should never cut their hair. They should never pluck their eyebrows. When they got to the point where they said they should never shave their legs, I went down the street and got a Baptist girl. They literally said that. Uh, When I was grown and looking back on that legalism, it occurred to me that probably what the church was doing was trying to make women so unattractive that no one would ever lust after them. But you can't make women that unattractive. You cannot build a wall high enough to defeat lust. If you're susceptible and vulnerable, it's going to find a way in. So instead of, I'm not saying go have lunch at a strip club, you know that, right? But instead of trying to say, God, I'm going to build all these barriers around me so sin can't get in. I'm going to say, God, build me in here. Build my spirit, build my soul, build my heart so that sin cannot seduce me. Make me so strong in my spirit that sin cannot defeat me. Amen? You've got to get that. Everything I'm going to talk about is going to rest on that foundation. A religious person will seek to do away with temptation. A spiritual person will seek to do away with the weakness. Because if the weakness is not there, the temptation will take care of itself. Okay? So let's lay a foundation, and, and uh, I don't know how far we'll get. Let's lay a foundation. The foundation for an incorruptible life, number one, incorruption must be your goal for life. Must be your goal for your life. When we seek to be incorrupted, when we seek to be pure on the inside... It's got to be something that I have made my goal before God. My wife cannot make that goal for me. And I cannot say, for your sake, honey, I'm going to be this. I've got to say, God, for my relationship with you, I want to live an incorrupted life. Because my wife can't see my heart. She can't see my mind. She doesn't know what's going on in there. That has to be something I say, God, you know everything about me. You see every thought before it ever forms in my mind. You already know it all together, the Bible says. And so I say before you, God, I want you to look at me and be happy with what you see. So it's got to be a personal goal. I want to be a person of purity. A person who cannot see our hearts. Cannot guide us to purity. The depravity within us will always find a way to defeat us. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I, 
I deal with this a lot when I, I deal with, with men and we talk about the temptations and we talk about pornography and all that kind of stuff that is so rampant in our, in our society. And I know that there are times to have accountability and you, you need some accountability. You need to be talking to another brother in the Lord about the, the struggles going on in your, in your private life. But the bottom line, that's never going to win it. Because no matter how much accountability you have around your life, eventually it's going to be you and the tempter facing off. And no one's going to be there to hold you accountable to do the right thing or think the right thing. It's going to have to be something that you say, God, I want you to be happy with me. And you lay your ears back and say, God, I'm going to walk this path. Empower me to do it. Number two, incorruption must be a partnership with God. Must be a partnership with God. Ultimately, weaknesses are defeated by the power of God. There are certain places in a man's soul that only he and God can visit, not just a man, that's anybody. And only he and God can maintain the purity of those places. It is in, are you listening? It is in the closeness of our walk with God that we are strengthened over corruption. The closeness of our walk with God, there is something going on inside of us. The Holy Spirit is working inside of us that is empowering us, and it's, He is elevating us. Something I've said, I don't know, hundreds of times, probably right here in this very pulpit, but I'm going to say it again. You're ready to listen, are you? I don't hear anything. Are you ready? Religious flesh. You don't know it? Religious flesh is still flesh. That's the whole point of the book of Galatians. Religious flesh is still flesh. And flesh will produce a harvest of corruption. And when Paul wrote Galatians, he was writing to devoutly religious people. And when he said in chapter 5, stand fast in the liberty wherewith Christ has set you free and do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage, he was talking about religion. We want to think, oh, he's talking about drugs and sex. He was talking about religion. He said, if you guys just all get into all that religious ritual, it's not going to save you because religious flesh is still flesh. A person never overcomes corruption by trying harder. There's something wrong in my life, and I go, oh, i got to try harder. Lord, I cross my heart, hope to die, stick needles in my eyes if I ever do that again. I don't know about you, but my flesh struggles with cupcakes. Let alone the big sin. My wife is out of town visiting with one of her sisters, and Friday night when I got back in town, I I went to Hy-Vee for some essentials. I got bread and milk and orange juice, and I walked by this display, an end cap, 
and there were those powdered white donuts. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Somehow they floated off the shelf and into my cart. I, uh, I told myself, I'll just have one in the morning. Just a little bitty donut. Last night, about 10 o'clock, I finished off the bag and watered it up. <laughs> this can flesh cannot resist a little donut. How is it going to save me in the hour of real temptation? How in the world? In the hour of real temptation... God is going to have to reach into my life and empower me and say, Son, don't go there. He's going to have to wake me up and say, Son, that's going to end badly for you. I'm going to have to have the Holy Spirit to do that. Number three, well, you guys are not going to get very far today. I can tell that right now. Incorruption must be defined by God's Word. Incorruption must be defined by God's Word. Because you see, my culture tells me that things are okay when the Bible says they're not okay. <clears throat> so if I say, Lord, I want to be incorruptible, i got to know, what does it mean to be incorruptible? What does it mean to be corrupt? And I have to take, listen, the Bible's definition of corruption. This is going to surprise some of you guys. I was around back in the 90s. I was around back in the 90s when we had this president from Arkansas. When I left Arkansas, I thought I got rid of Slick Willie. But then he became president, and, you know. Um, and uh, the president, President Bill Clinton... He got in trouble, and he was facing impeachment. Can you believe that a president facing impeachment? I know, I know it's, uh, it's beyond the pale to even think something like that could happen. But I lived through it. And he was impeached by the House of Representatives, and then when it went to the Senate, they killed it, so he stayed in office. He was impeached because he had a sexual relationship with like a 20-year-old in the Oval Office, and, and the FBI questioned him about it, and he lied about it. And so he was giving false information to law. So he was impeached for, for this inappropriate relationship. Well, it wasn't for the inappropriate relationship. It was for lying about the inappropriate relationship. And there was, at that time, there was this big discussion all across the country, especially in the churches. What does it mean to be ethical? Is it ethical for a man of great power like that to seduce a young woman? And people were discussing, I'll never forget, there was a discussion on C-SPAN. Yes, I watched it. How many of you have ever watched C-SPAN? <laughs> Just a few of us brave souls will ever admit we're that nerdy. And, uh, and there was, I don't know if I can pronounce this, there was an ethnicist. Don't ask me to say it again. Ethnicist. And he was saying, here's the problem. It is not unethical to cheat on your wife. It is ethical 
to lie about, unethical to lie about it. So it's in his world, it's okay to cheat on your wife, but it's not okay to lie and cover it up. So if you want to be a moron in secret, you've got to go ahead and admit it in public. That was his, and I thought, wow, what a weird definition of ethics. Our world is telling us that the only real corruption is Bible-believing Christianity. Those are the really corrupt people. People who take the Bible at face value, those are the corrupt people. Do you understand that to conform to a sick society is to become sick ourselves? You get that? If you conform your morals to an immoral culture, we have become immoral. Am I corrupt or incorrupt? I open the pages of Scripture to decide that. I don't look to TV. I don't look to news. I don't look to C-SPAN. I look to the Bible. The Bible says this is the way an incorrupt man lives. And I go, that's what I want. That, that's the person I want to be right there. Amen? The Bible defines what corruption and incorruption truly is. You ever notice, let's just do this. Do you ever notice how biased you are when the Chiefs are playing? You ever notice when there's a pass interference call? If we've got the ball, it was obvious. No denying it was pass interference. Look at that. It was all over him. But when they've got the ball, oh, how picky. My goodness, let them play. You could call that on every down. Oh, my goodness, how dare you throw a flag on that? They may have mugged him as he went down the line. But that's us. We are hopelessly biased in favor of our guys. I often tease my wife and say, you've never met a referee you like. You know. Once in a while, I go, yeah, that's right. He was, we did it. But usually, it's, oh, my goodness. If you're not real careful... You'll get that way with your own ethics. If I'm doing it, I give myself all kinds of license. Somebody else is doing it. Oh, how dare you? I'll throw a flag on you. I'll pick it up and put it in my pocket on me. See? But see, when I read the Bible, the Bible said it is as a two-edged sword. It lays open my life and tells me where I really stand. Amen? Where are we? Number four. Corruption or incorruption must be our definition of success.
Guys, right now, you are playing a game, and if you're enjoying it, you really think you're winning. We'll see about that, but you think you're winning. Otherwise, you wouldn't get excited about it. The people who get up on Monday morning and smile because it's time to go to work are people who think they're winning. People who hate the day is coming but feel like, I'm not that good at this. Why do I do this? I found it interesting, and I won't read the passage to you, but in Second, excuse me, Second Timothy chapter 4, Paul defined success for himself. He said, I fought a good fight. I kept the faith. That was his success. He didn't say, listen, I have traveled the world. I have seen things you won't believe. I've seen the dead come back to life. I've seen people struck blind. I've been bitten by venomous vipers, and it didn't even hurt me. And he, he didn't say, this is all I saw. This is, here's my success. I fought a good fight. I kept the faith. I finished the course. I win. I win. I fought a good fight. I kept the faith. I finished the race. That's, that's success. Um, earthly life is going to have some um, mistakes, some failures. You're going to throw a few interceptions. You're going to fumble once in a while. But let it be said of you and of me that we never allowed corruption to move in and stay. There was no place for it to stay. It may have visited briefly and caught me off guard, but it didn't get to move in and set up camp. It didn't get to stay. Because my relationship with God would not give it permanent residence. When the Holy Spirit comes into my heart, He reveals what is unlike Jesus, and He declares war on it. So, I will never, and there's no man you'll ever meet, will ever be able to say, I batted a thousand in life. I made it happen. I never struggled, I never stumbled, I never fell. But there will be some men who will say, I stumbled, but I got up. I messed up, but I didn't stay messed up. I went down in defeat, but I got up and won again. Hello? God has this, I'm going to, if, you, if you'll forgive me, I'm going to wrap it up right here and save the rest because I don't want to rush through this. I, I know people, it hurts people's feelings when you don't preach long sermons. But I, I don't want to rush through a, a few points and just, just to cover material, right? I just want to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, Lord, please, please. The office 
of father and husband is under intense spiritual attack. Because if you can take out husband and father, and even though they may still be sitting in that position, they're not functioning in it. They're not being it. You can re- the devil can create havoc. I told you last week, I'll say it again. What's wrong with so much of America, if you look at it, is absent husbands and fathers. Because when they quit, all kinds of bad things start happening to wives and moms and kids. And ladies, I challenge you, get on his side, be on his team, encourage him, pray for him, admonish him, challenge him, believe in him. It's the best thing you can do for yourself. And when you must criticize him, do it in measured doses. And don't do it very much or it will lose all impact on him. God has created him to be something really, really important in your life and in the lives of the kids. And you can be a part of helping him realize that or you can be a part of destroying that. It all depends on whether you do it God's way or your way. Hello? Men are under attack. The office of masculinity is under attack. The office of husband, the office of office of father. And people are quitting on a scale I have never seen before, and I've been around a few days. I see men who have been married for decades just walk away. Men who were once full of life begging for death because they're tired of losing. And God wants us, the church, to step up beside the men and say I believe in you I'm thankful for you I'm so glad you're in my life amen stand with me please Consider today an introduction. (laughs) I know I didn't get to the scripture part of the sermon. I don't do that very often. I don't like to do that. I want to challenge you today to be countercultural. The world is saying masculinity is evil, it's bad. 
Guys are starting to hear it and they're beginning to quit. They're dropping like flies. Some are even deciding they don't want to be guys anymore. I mean, that's the ultimate quit, isn't it? I think the church, especially the women of the church, those godly wives and daughters and moms have got to fight for this office. We need your help. We need you to, need to throw us a lifeline. I need, we need you to tell us that we're winning, that we matter, that we're important. You wouldn't want to do it without us. Man, we just, we need some encouragement. We need you to understand that we fight a dark and powerful enemy at times when you're sleeping. We need you to understand that we are under a massive onslaught from the forces of hell. use some another sword on our side to help us beat back that horde of demons. If you don't mind, just reach over and put your hand on the shoulder of a guy. Just pray for him. something like this I know Satan has desired you he has desired to sift you like wheat to grind you up into powder and to take away God's greatness out of your life now in the name of Jesus I come against that plan I come against that plan. And I speak in Jesus' name, strength. Where you have been hurt, where you are bleeding, I touch that. apply the healing balm of the Spirit on that brokenness. And that voice that keeps yelling in your ear, you're nothing. You're nobody. You're a loser. You're a failure. I quiet that voice in the
Lord, I ask you if there's anyone here today that doesn't know you as Savior, give them the faith right here to pray in their heart. Jesus, come and be my Savior. I believe you died for my sins. I believe you died for my sins. I receive you as my Savior. And I confess you with my mouth. Jesus is my Lord. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Well, tell you what, if you guys don't speed up in your listening, we may have to go a couple more weeks. But <laughs> try to wrap this up next week. God bless you. Shake hands. If you receive Christ today, please let me know so we can help you get started in your new life. God bless.